this week's ACCP Emergency Medicine PRN Journal Club presentation. I'm your host, Christian Kroll, an emergency medicine and ICU pharmacist at the University of Iowa Hospital and Clinics. To view this recorded presentation, head to our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash at ACCP EMED PRN. And for PRN members, slides can be found under the business document section on the ACCP Emergency Medicine PRN website. Introducing Dr. Kelsey Locke, who's the current PGY2 Emergency Medicine resident at Christus Trinity Mother Francis Health System. All right. Thank you for that introduction, Kelly. My name is Kelsey Locke, and I am the or one of the PGY2 Emergency Medicine Pharmacy residents at Christus Trinity Mother Francis Hospital in Tyler, Texas. And I'll be presenting an article today on the comparative effectiveness of amiodarone and lidocaine for treatment of in-hospital cardiac arrest. So the objectives of this presentation are to first review the evidence for antiarrhythmics in cardiac arrest, evaluate the treatment of in-hospital cardiac arrest using amiodarone versus lidocaine, and lastly, to identify which patients may benefit from amiodarone and or lidocaine during in-hospital cardiac arrest. So a few statistics on cardiac arrest that over 350,000 sudden cardiac deaths occur per year in the United States, and nearly equal proportions of cardiac arrests occur out of hospital and in hospital. But the evidence behind our guideline recommendations largely exists in out-of-hospital cardiac arrest patient populations, whereas in-hospital studies of cardiac arrest are actually lacking compared to out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. So how have the guidelines really changed over the years, specifically for VTAC and VFib? Well, it has actually changed quite dramatically. In 1974, all the way to 2000, lidocaine was the preferred agent for VTAC and VFib. And in 2000 to all the way to 2018, amiodarone was our preferred agent. And from 2018 and beyond, guidelines actually suggest amiodarone or lidocaine for VTAC or VFib with no real preference. So currently our 2020 AHA guidelines, which are our most updated guidelines, state that amiodarone or lidocaine may be considered for VFib or pulseless VTAC that is unresponsive to defibrillation. So really no preference between amiodarone or lidocaine and I've presented here something that we're all kind of familiar with, which is the ACLS algorithm. So for shockable rhythms, patients typically will get three shocks, two rounds of CPR in epi, and then another round of CPR with an antiarrhythmic considered. And looking at the guidelines, they cited three out-of-hospital cardiac arrest RCTs, and these are based on the ARREST trial, the ALIVE trial, and the ROG ALPS trial. So let's take a look at these landmark trials. The first one was in 1999, so the arrest trial. As you recall from our timeline, from 1974 to 2000, lidocaine was the preferred agent. And before the 2000 guideline change to amiodarone, this was one of the landmark trials that really validated our antiarrhythmic use and gave us a randomized control trial. Guidelines before 2000 kind of said antiarrhythmics would probably be helpful. This was the trial that actually said there could be some actual benefit. So the patients in this study were out of hospital cardiac arrest. The rhythm was VFib or pulseless VTAC. Patients received at least three shocks, a milligram of epinephrine, and the intervention was IV amiodarone 300 milligrams once, and that was compared to a placebo of polysorbate 80. As far as the outcome, they found a higher rate of survival to hospital admission with amiodarone versus placebo, and this was a statistically significant difference. The next trial was the ALIVE trial. This was done in 2002. It was a randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trial of 347 patients. 
And as you recall from our timeline, this trial was in 2002. So after 2000 guideline change, when amiodarone was our preferred agent, this kind of gave us a head-to-head trial of amiodarone versus lidocaine. So this was done in out-of-hospital cardiac arrest patients. The patients had a rhythm of V-fib or pulseless V-tac. Patients received three shocks, epinephrine, and then one shock. The intervention was IV amiodarone at five milligrams per kilo with a lidocaine placebo, and then compared to IV lidocaine, 1.5 milligrams per kilo with an amiodarone placebo. What they found was similar to arrest, but compared to lidocaine, amiodarone did have a higher rate of survival to hospital admission. This was a statistically significant difference as well. And that brings us to 2016. In 2016, the ROG ALPS trial was completed. It was a randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trial in 3,026 patients, so a lot larger than our previous two studies. Patients in this trial were out of hospital cardiac arrest, V-fib, pulseless VTAC. They had received at least one shock. The intervention was IV amiodarone at 300 milligrams, IV lidocaine, 120 milligrams, and then a normal normal saline placebo. This trial differed from the arrest trial and the ALIVE trial in that they looked at more patient-oriented outcomes and more meaningful outcomes. So their primary outcome was survival to discharge or rate of favorable neurologic outcome. What they found was no difference in between all three of the groups for survival to discharge and rate of uh, favorable neurologic outcome. They did look at survival to admission similarly to the previous trials, but these were secondary outcomes, and they found benefits with amiodarone or lidocaine over placebo, but really no difference between amiodarone and lidocaine, uh, which kind of reflects our guideline changes in 2018. So looking at out-of-hospital cardiac arrest and in-hospital cardiac arrest, the main difference is, was there a witness or not? So with out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, um, usually these types of events are unwitnessed, leading to delays in recognition of the arrest, initiation of CPR, as well as pharmacologic therapy, compared to in-hospital cardiac arrest, where these patients are typically witnessed, typically monitored, and that can lead to rapid initiation of CPR, as well as pharmacologic therapy. So kind of comparing the cardiac chains of survival based on the ACLS guidelines, we see that kind of in that fourth chain or fourth link of the chain, uh, we get our advanced resuscitation, whereas in in in-hospital cardiac arrest, we're starting with that advanced resuscitation. And it's not really known if the difference between out-of-hospital cardiac arrest and in-hospital cardiac arrest are influencing the relative effectiveness of amiodarone and lidocaine in in in-hospital cardiac arrest. And a lot of the studies of antiarrhythmic use in in-hospital cardiac arrest are lacking. So that brings us to this study. It was recently published in CHEST by a pharmacist, actually. The title is Comparative Effectiveness of Amiodarone and Lidocaine for the Treatment of In-Hospital Cardiac Arrest. Their objective was to compare outcomes of patients uh, with IHCA due to VTAC or VFib treated with amiodarone or lidocaine. The research question was, does treatment with amiodarone versus lidocaine therapy have differential associations with outcomes among adult patients with IHCA from VTAC or VFib? It was a retrospective cohort study of adult patients receiving amiodarone or lidocaine for VTAC or VFib, IHCA refractory to CPR and defibrillation. As far as the location, the participating hospitals, around 669 or 696 hospitals, um, were involved in AHA's Get With the Guidelines resuscitation inpatient registry. And they looked at patients who had these events uh, from January 2000 to December 2014. A little more insight into the registry data. So this data was sponsored by American Heart Association. 
the American Trophy Association. It's a national multi-center prospective registry and quality improvement program for in-hospital cardiac arrest. The participating hospitals electronically reported their data, and some of that data was medical history, hospital care, and outcomes of patients hospitalized for cardiac arrest. The database includes um, in-hospital adult resuscitation events for which an emergency resuscitation response was initiated and the resuscitation record was completed. And the variables that they used were based on the Utstein style guidelines for uniform reporting of laboratory CPR research. As far as patient enrollment, 39,089 patients from 696 hospitals with an index IHCA with VFib or pulseless VTAC were identified. Again, this was from January 2000 to December 2014. They excluded 24,459 patients for the following reasons. So if the arrest began in the outpatient or ambulatory care setting, if no defibrillation shock was provided, if no treatment with amiodarone or lidocaine was given, if they treated with amiodarone and lidocaine, if there was missing data on amiodarone and lidocaine, and if there was incomplete documentation. What they ended up with for their final analysis was a 14,630 patient cohort who were treated with amiodarone or lidocaine. And there were 10,058 patients in the amiodarone group and 4,572 patients in the lidocaine group. So for their primary outcome, um, it was return of spontaneous circulation, and that was defined as any documented return of pulse or heart rate upon palpation, auscultation, Doppler, arterial blood pressure, waveform, or documented blood pressure during the event. As for their secondary outcomes, they were 24-hour survival, survival to discharge, and then favorable neurologic outcome. And that was defined as cerebral performance at hospital discharge. And that was defined further as good cerebral performance. So patients were conscious, alert, able to work, had a mild neurologic or psychological deficit, or moderate, which was conscious, sufficient cerebral function for independent ADLs, and able to work in a sheltered environment. For their statistical analysis, for their patient event and uh, treatment characteristics, um, they used independent groups t-test for continuous variables, as well as chi-squared for binary A variables. For their primary and secondary outcome analysis, they used chi-squared for unadjusted comparisons, and they used a multivariable logistic regression analysis and propensity score methods for associations between the treatment drug and outcomes. They utilized an alpha level of 0.05 for significance, and these were all two-sided tests. So let's get into the results. For the patient characteristics, the mean age for both of the groups was around 65, around 62 to 64% of both groups were male. Um, there were significant differences in race, so more patients were white in the lidocaine group. And as far as pre-existing pre conditions, these were significantly different between the lidocaine group and the amiodarone group with fewer pre-existing conditions in the lidocaine group. And some of those were statistically significant were diabetes, hepatic insufficiency, metabolic or electrolyte abnormalities, metastatic or hematologic cancer, pneumonia, renal insufficiency or dialysis, respiratory insufficiency, and septicemia. There were also some differences in event location. So fewer patients in the lidocaine group versus the amiodarone group had their cardiac arrest in the adult ICU and the general inpatient area, whereas more lidocaine patients had their cardiac arrest in the emergency department or the operating room. More patients in the amiodarone group um, arrested in the daytime, as well as had pulse oximetry monitoring um, at the time of arrest. And for the lidocaine group, there were fewer patients on continuous vasopressors, fewer were mechanically ventilated, 
And then an interesting note was that the time to defibrillation was actually less in the lidocaine group versus the amiodarone group with 2.2 minutes um, for lidocaine and 2.4 in the amiodarone. So for our unadjusted comparisons, there was really no difference in ROSC between amiodarone and lidocaine at 77.3% for lidocaine, 76.6% in amiodarone. But for our secondary outcomes of 24-hour survival, survival to hospital discharge, as well as favorable neurologic outcome at discharge, all the secondary outcomes favored lidocaine. I mean, these were statistically significant. Of note, they were missing some data in the, neuro the favorable neurologic outcome. So looking at the results of their multivariable logistic regression, I've listed here some of the covariates that were statistically significant for all four of these outcomes of ROS, 24-hour survival, survival to discharge, favorable neurologic outcome. And so all, all four of these outcomes were statistically significantly lower in the following covariates. So if patients had hypotension or hypoperfusion, metastatic or hematologic cancer, renal insufficiency or dialysis, continuous vasopressor, age, sepsis, and time to defibrillation, whereas some of the covariates um, that actually statistically significantly increased odds of all four of these outcomes were white race and MI during um, the current cardiac illness category, EKG monitoring, and in the year the patient was admitted. So with all the covariates statistically controlled, what they found was very interesting when they compared lidocaine versus amiodarone. So what they found was a statistically significant higher odds of ROSC in the lidocaine group at 79% versus 76.1%, as well as in 24-hour survival, survival to discharge, as well as favorable neurologic outcome. And I presented here is the forest plot um, kind of showing us the adjusted odds ratios and how they've all kind of favored lidocaine in this study, even after adjusting for all these covariates. Further, they performed a propensity score analysis. This also mimics some of the results that they found in that adjusted analysis, where it still favored the lidocaine group um, as far as ROS, 24-hour survival, survival to discharge, and favorable neurologic outcome. Um, the risk differences were slightly lower than before, but they were still statistically higher um, in the lidocaine group. As far as the author's conclusion, among adult patients within hospital cardiac arrest, secondary to VTAC or VFib who received defibrillation, treatment with lidocaine was associated with differences in ROSC, 24-hour survival, rates of survival to hospital discharge, and favorable neurologic outcomes when compared to treatment with amiodarone. As far as the strength of the study, it was a pretty large multi-center study, so around 14,000 patients, 696 hospitals, um, a lot larger than some of the out-of-hospital cardiac arrest trials that we uh, reviewed before. They performed an extensive risk adjustment for potential confounders. Um, they also found some pretty, pretty positive results um, even after risk adjustment for those confounders. In addition to that, they also performed propensity score analysis and found further confirmation of their findings after that um, risk adjustment. They use an objective endpoint of ROSC and then lastly, they utilize a standardized CPR data. Again, they used um, the registry data that the hospitals had submitted to the American Heart Association. And those um, in the database actually followed the Edstein style guidelines for standardized laboratory CPR data. As far as limitations, there were quite a few limitations of the study. It was an observational study. So it looked at the time point from 2000 to 2014. 
And as we know from before, our guideline recommendations have changed dramatically throughout the years. So looking at 2000 to 2014, um, that is during the time that amiodarone was preferred, and that kind of reflects in the study as we saw around 70% of the cohort received amiodarone versus 30% re receiving lidocaine. We're also missing data from 2014 to now. And as we all know, COVID's definitely affected our patient population after 2014, as well as major changes in our updated 2020 guidelines, such as um, preference for IV over IO, and then changes where something like dual sequential defibrillation is no longer supported by guidelines. Another limitation is uh, limited generalizability to the participating hospitals um, that were in this registry. Variability in the emergency resuscitation response. So again, having so many hospitals, the code blue response in each hospital is going to differ um, as far as the personnel who responds, the expertise of that personnel, and then what kind of medications are preferred based on each hospital's protocol or process. Another limitation is the lidocaine patient group. So there were a significant amount of differences between the groups. Um, namely, there were lower rates of pre-existing conditions and shorter time to defibrillation, and both of those were found to be significant confounders to all four of our outcomes. As far as missing data, again, this is registry data, so we're missing data on patients for their reason for hospital admission, the cause of their cardiac arrest. The main thing was the dose was not given for amiodarone or lidocaine is in addition, there was not any information given on um, the frequency of the amiodarone or lidocaine doses, how many doses they got, as well as time to treatment. Time to treatment was a pretty big factor, especially um, in our landmark trials. That was thought to be one of the reasons why some patients benefited over others. We didn't have any information on that in this study. CPR duration was also missing, um, as well as interventions prior to the event. So we didn't know how many doses, if they got a dose of epinephrine before the event, as well as any interventions post-arrest, like targeted temperature management, or if patients were started on ECMO. And then lastly, another limitation would be the study's definition was pretty subjective for favorable neurologic outcome. They utilized um, if the patient was conscious, alert, able to perform ADLs. So it was a pretty subjective definition, especially compared to um, some of our landmark trials where they utilized a modified Rankin score of zero to three for favorable neurologic outcome. So some of my clinical takeaways from this study is that lidocaine was associated with statistically significant higher rates of ROSC, 24-hour survival, as well as survival to hospital discharge and favorable neurologic outcome compared to amiodarone for IHCA based on registry data. Lidocaine should be reconsidered as a preferred agent for adult IHCA, but randomized controlled studies investigating the optimal antiarrhythmic use for IHCA secondary to VTAG or VFib are needed. The choice of antiarrhythmic should ultimately be guided by patient-specific factors, and these include but are not limited to the underlying reason for hospital admission, the cause of arrest, pre-existing conditions, and medications given prior to arrest. If you have enjoyed this presentation content and would like to hear more, subscribe via your favorite podcasting app. Additionally, make sure to check out our YouTube page for all recorded presentations. Thank you for listening to this week's ACCP Emergency Medicine Journal Club presentation. Join us weekly for review and discussion of new journal articles in emergency medicine.
This podcast provides general information only and does not offer individualized medical or professional health care services, including pharmaceutical advice. The contents and materials in the podcast are not intended to be a substitute for inpatient pharmaceutical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. And the use of the contents and materials in the podcast does not constitute a pharmacist-patient relationship. As a result, the information in and materials linked to this podcast are applied at the user or patient's own risk. Users or patients should consult their physician or personal health care professional. The user or patient should not ignore or delay seeking care because of something they heard on this podcast. In case of an emergency, the user or patient should contact their physician, call 911, or go to the nearest medical emergency facility. The views and statements expressed on this podcast are those of the host and guest and should not be interpreted to reflect the official position or policy of ACCP or the Emergency Medicine PRN.